Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Trump is so effed. He's so effed. He says he's going to appeal the judge's decision that he's effed. And that means he does not even know you can't appeal the judge's decision that means he's effed. He's so effed. Today, the D.C. trial was scheduled to start March 4th, 190 days from now. Forgive me, let me quote myself from this morning's regular edition. I don't have a clue where she, Judge Chutkin, will end up, but if she goes for any date in January or February, Trump is effed, unquote. March 4th, within four days of February, close enough, Trump is effed. Not only effed, but he's being rushed to the front of the line to get effed. Not only effed, but so effed that they'll be rescheduling his getting locally effed here in New York from March 25th to maybe April or May. And they may also be rescheduling the Florida tour stop of the United States of America versus Donald J. Get effed Trump, which is supposed to start May 20th. But his getting effed may also have to be postponed there. This man's liberty and life is at stake, said Trump's subversion of the election lawyer John Loro today. And they're going to have to start numbering these lawyers. For God's sake, give me a break here. He's no different than any American. And this morning, Judge Tanya Chutkin took that to heart and treated the scheduling as she would have for any other American, noting that Trump's personal and professional schedule means nothing to her and the scheduling of the trial. 
The judge compared it to a pro-athlete facing trial, which would be laugh out loud funny, given Trump's amazing failure at sports and lying about sports, but it will probably please him enough that he might even make some begrudging grunting noises, and he may even try to bother to learn how to spell Judge Chutkin's name correctly. I mean, he misspelled fascist this morning. John Loro, and let's call him attorney number 167B, John Loro, 167B, was good enough to raise his voice in court during the hearing to the point that Judge Chutkin told him to lower the temperature. So maybe we want to find out who the candidates are for attorney 167C. You may recall that instead of slapping Trump's as if he were a pro athlete ass in jail, when earlier this month he began to harass and obliquely threaten her and Jack Smith and Biden and mankind online, she warned his attorneys that her response to him doing that would be to give him an even speedier trial, and that's why I keep saying he's so effed. She just did that. She just did that today. Just today she gave the prosecution a start date that's only two months behind their request. She gave the defense a start date that's 25 months ahead of their request. That's effed. He's effed. And she is apparently only going to get stricter. She says she is, quote, watching carefully for anything that might impact or poison. Her word, poison, the jury pool. Nominally, she means this report that there's going to be a Trump poll of D.C. residents for their attitudes towards him designed to support their lunatic motion for a change of venue by supporting the idea that they could not get a fair trial for him in the District of Columbia. But... That statement, watching carefully for poison, will also apply to Trump's inability to control himself online, which he displayed within hours of the decision. Message from Tanya to Don, you don't like March 4th? How about February 26th? February 12th? Also, here's your full trial schedule. Remember your Christmas vacation, boys? Cancel it. Disclosure of exhibits December 18th. Motions, December 27th. Your guy is effed hearing, January 4th. Nah, I made the last one up. Also, John Loro, 167B, hinted that they will be introducing motions, supporting their idea that when it came to questioning the election, Trump had something they have made up called presidential immunity, which apparently also covers... Coups, blackmail, bribery, conspiracy, subversion, overthrowing the Constitution of the United States, treason. Judge Chutkin did not bust out laughing, but witnesses in the courtroom said when she heard this, she seemed cool to the premise. Trump is so effed. At 2.37 today, he posted he will appeal. Well, you can't appeal the judge's decision on the start of the trial. At 3.03 p.m., he demanded special counsel Jack Smith indict the January 6th committee. He's so effed. And he'll be effed in Atlanta, too. Arraignment at the Fulton County Courthouse, now scheduled as of today, for next Wednesday at 9.30 a.m. and televised. But defendants don't necessarily have to be there, so we will see. But speaking of Atlanta and F, there's the Mark Meadows hearing, which in a harbinger of things to come for Trump began at the exact same hour in Atlanta today that Trump's lawyers were facing Judge Chutkin in D.C. They both started at 10 a.m. At the airports, they used to call this gate saturation. And what Meadows seems to have is lousy lawyer saturation. 
Just Sunday, he added to his team one of the flunkies from the Ken Starr investigation of Bill Clinton. And I don't know if Meadows is trying to get himself sent to prison or he has decided that he should scare the hell out of Trump by essentially confessing under oath to everything they said he did for Trump just so he can get his part of the Georgia election plot trial transferred to federal court. But there's no getting around it. That's exactly what this stupid some beach is doing. He took the stand this morning in a procedural hearing for three hours before the lunch break. Holy crap. Not only did he take the stand, but in this desperate bid to prove that everything he did, he did under color of his office. He basically confessed to everything. I would get invited to almost every meeting the president had, Meadows testified. People would often meet with him, Meadows testified, so he could, quote, get in the president's ear and pass along their message. Dandy, good for you. Yet also today, per the Washington Post, quote, Meadows claimed to have no knowledge of the Trump campaign's efforts to contest the election results. He said, sure, he went to the meeting with Trump and the Michigan lawmakers that Trump was trying to entice to sabotage the election results there. But he had no clue the campaign was trying to overturn Michigan. And Meadows said, sure, he went to Georgia and sure, he arranged the infamous call with Ken Raffensperger. But he didn't know that three of the lawyers who were on the call had sued Ken Raffensperger on behalf of the Trump campaign. And when they asked him if you arranged it, how did you arrange for Cleta Mitchell and the other Trump ambulance chasers to get on the call with you? He said, I I can't remember. And he keeps digging. Anyway, Meadows tells the court, the Raffensperger call was just Trump hoping to find a, quote, less litigious way of resolving everything in Georgia, which the Georgia prosecutors rightly responded to by noting that this made it a campaign litigation phone call and asking your chief of staff at the White House, your government, why are you on a campaign litigation phone call? I don't have the court record in front of me, but I believe Meadows answered, humana, 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 humana. Which is it, bub? You were Trump's eyes and ears, and you were at all the meetings, but you had no idea what was happening at all those meetings? Seems like you shouldn't be pleading not guilty. You should be pleading insanity. Bluntly, Mark Meadows implicated himself today so many different ways, he was lucky he got to go home at the end of the day. And the conundrum facing the judge there, Federal District Court Judge Steve Jones, is this. The bar to get a case like this one against Meadows moved to federal court. That's not a high bar, particularly so when the facts are not in dispute. Mark Meadows was a federal official at the time the events he's charged over took place. This color of his office thing, it's pretty clear. It's true. But Meadows seems determined to confess to the crimes and to confess to others he hasn't even been charged with. His motion has two pages about how the charges infringe on his First Amendment rights. Quote, all the alleged conduct as to Mr. Meadows relates to protected political activity that lies in the heartland of the First Amendment. The First Amendment, quote, has its fullest and most urgent application precisely to the conduct of campaigns for political office, unquote. Cool, cool. There's a small problem in there, though. It's called the Hatch Act. You are not allowed to conduct conduct relating to protected political activity and campaigns for political office while you are covered by the color of your office 
In short, Meadows is asking the judge to protect him from being charged with one crime by boasting that he committed a whole bunch of other crimes. Judges don't like that particularly. We'll see. A note here, the rest of this bulletin podcast is repeated from the regular edition from Monday morning, why the crowd in Jacksonville was right to boo Ron DeSantis at the shooting vigil Sunday night, O.J. Simpson endorsing a lucky presidential candidate, etc. So if you've heard it already and you want to hit stop, I'm not going to take it personally. Full coverage of everything, as usual, in Tuesday's regular edition. Of course, Trump's trial status would be, if not academic, then less important if Trump is not on the ballot next year. You will also remember why that might be the disqualification clause of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And we are finally seeing some early stirrings of people who want to make that constitutional theory sing. Four years ago, Corky Messner ran for the Senate seat from New Hampshire and Trump endorsed him. And yet he's loyal to the Constitution. I've taken an oath to this country, he says. My sons are serving right now, and I believe someone's got to step up to defend the Constitution. Corky, did you say that? What a guy. Messner says he's not precisely sure how he's going to do it, but he's going to try to get Trump barred from the New Hampshire ballot based on 14-3. ABC News reports the New Hampshire Secretary of State met with Messner on Friday and will now confer with the state attorney general, but he does think this needs to be tested in court. And yes, the New Hampshire Republicans are just ornery enough and old school enough that they can be rabidly pro-Trump, but angrily more pro-constitution and now in florida a tax attorney named lawrence kaplan has sued in federal court there to keep trump off the primary ballot next march 19th based on the 14th amendment 14-3 next crew citizens for responsibility and ethics in washington it keeps saying it is going to be acting shortly on trump and 14-3 meanwhile another ethics group free speech for people is launching a campaign that starts with letters to all 50 state secretaries of state going through the 14-3 argument and urging them to just bar Trump from their state ballots and then see what happens. That's phase one, where Doris gets her oats. Phase two from the FSFP people, legal challenges state by state using state laws where they exist. These are not huge developments, but they are a damn sight better than commentaries about how conservative scholars are convinced that 14-3 disqualifies Trump even commentaries by me. They heckled Ron DeSantis last night at a vigil for the victims of the latest mass shooting in Jacksonville, and the local district councilwoman told the crowd to be quiet because, quote, a bullet don't know a party, unquote, and unfortunately... She was utterly mistaken. Utterly. I understand about grief and I understand about rage. And when a psychopath with Nazi symbols on his guns goes to an HBCU and then to a dollar store to specifically shoot people because they are African-American, I think I can just begin to have a vague, genuine empathy about why somebody like Councilwoman Jacoby Pittman would make such a mistake defending even for just the moment slime like Ron DeSantis, who has spent much of this year spewing the kind of racist hate that the Jacksonville shooter felt somehow entitled to put into murderous form, siding with DeSantis 
as he strode to the mic and boasted he wouldn't let black colleges be targeted by racists who already targeted them Saturday while his idiot wife stands there smiling, doing her very dime store knockoff impression of Jackie Kennedy. I get why she would make a mistake under the circumstances, but it was a mistake. In our America of 2023, a bullet not only knows a party, but the bullets are there because of a party. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is here. We're going to ask the governor if he would come now and bring remarks. Well, thank you for doing this. I want to just say to the councilwoman, 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 I got you. Don't worry about it. We've already been looking uh, to identify funds to be able to help one make sure there's adequate security for Edward Waters College. We are not going to allow these institutions to be targeted by people. We. Okay, listen, y'all. Let me let me tell you, we finna put parties aside, cause it ain't it ain't about parties today. A bullet don't know a party, so don't get me started. Okay, Jacoby is nice, but Ann is not. Now, if the if the if the governor wanted to come here and he bringing gifts to my community, y'all know I'm taking the gifts because we've been through enough already, and I don't want to go through no more. Now, y'all, y'all just be quiet just a minute and let the, let the governor say what he going to say, and we're going to get this party started. You hear me? Okay, let's do it. We have mass shootings, and we have nearly unfettered civilian access to these weapons of war. And we have this decades-old orgy of gun worship because of Republicans, period. Our gun crisis may not be 100% Republican, but it's 95%. As our democracy crisis may not be 100% Republican, but it's 95%. As our climate crisis may not be 100% Republican, but it's, well, 75%. Our awareness that at any moment, anywhere, anyone in this country could be murdered by sentient fecal matter and the only variables from tragedy to tragedy are which minority group this one murdered, because of which Republican this one listened to, that waxes and wanes. But there are four unswerving constants, and they played out in Jacksonville over the weekend. They had the guns because of Republicans. If they didn't have the hate already, they got it because of Republicans. Nearly all of our news media will refuse to say that mass shootings in this country are the unquestioned fault of Republicans. And no matter what the circumstances of this particular one or any gun tragedy are, Republicans will insist it is always too soon to, you know, try to stop them from happening and to propose, you know, solutions. And they will say that that's trying to exploit a tragedy for political gain, as opposed to trying to exploit a tragedy for donations from the National Rifle Association and making sure that nothing is ever, ever done to stop the next mass murderer. So, Councilwoman Pittman, don't get me started 
you were wrong. A bullet knows a party. A bullet in this country knows who its friends are, Republicans. And if you don't know that, get out. Maybe you've been a great councilwoman in your two months in office. I don't know. I hope so. But if your response is to kiss the ass of the governor who is running for president on a platform of slavery had a silver lining of giving its victims blacksmithing skills, maybe you want to reconsider which party you belong to. Now, if this was just about the tragedy of this weekend and the shock, forgive me for saying what I have said. Yes, I think you would deserve a pass. But if it isn't, and you meant that, get out. And to those in that crowd who booed this fascist DeSantis, God bless you. And please, if words like this still have any meaning in our paralyzed, irresponsible, racist, failed society, please accept not just my condolences, but my thanks. Because you all knew which political party killed your friends and neighbors Saturday, and you showed the courage, the rest of us, including the Democratic politicians, including us in the media, the kind of courage we have not shown. Before we get to Trump, let's pivot to Vivek Ramaswamy. And it is hard to believe that in a timeline that has brought us Trump and DeSantis, this Ramaswamy guy may be the biggest idiot of them all. The primary danger of the Trump era is the release of hatred and violence and racism and brutality, but the secondary danger is this ongoing release of this stupidity. This, I will again go to Howard Feynman's Pittsburgh term, it fits Ramaswamy like spandex painted on him. This jagoff goes on NBC yesterday and says, no, Mike Pence shouldn't have done what Trump wanted him to do on January 6th, but he should have refused to certify Biden's election until the Senate agreed to instantly institute new laws to mandate the most draconian Republican talking points about voting suppression, single-day elections, paper ballots, government-issued IDs. And he said, quote, Pence should have, quote, led through that level of reform and then under that condition certify the election. As if every moment of the political day is designed to be a hostage situation and every law must be optional because Vivek Ramaswamy sees a loophole to exploit. Let's leverage it. Let's bargain. This jagoff had the audacity to get up in front of a national television audience and insist that anybody under 25 who wants to vote should have to pass a civics test first. And since then, he has spent his entire week revealing he could not possibly pass any civics test. And he has explained that the Constitution, which was not written until 1787, won the revolution for us in 1783. And now he thinks so long as you can get away with it, you should be able to suspend the Constitution and the laws. A civics test before you can vote. Hell, give this Ramaswamy a breathalyzer test. But look out, the Ramaswamy machine may now be unstoppable. Last night, Vivek Ramaswamy got the most coveted endorsement in the political calendar. This morning, I got up and I found myself watching Meet the Press. They had the Bavik Ramaswamy uh, on. Now, just like the um, debates, the Republican debates, I said, hey, this guy is on to something. But I love what he was saying in his book. I was saying it's fresh. It's new. 
uh, I got a little problem with his uh, foreign affairs take. And if he um, got himself um, an experienced person to run with him, an experienced person, I would say, like Nikki Haley, somebody that knows foreign affairs, <laughs> this guy would have a chance. I, mean, I think this guy really would have a chance. O.J. Simpson endorses Vivek Ramaswamy. O.J. for the Ramaswamy Haley ticket. I'd say it's the kiss of death, but, you know. I mean, how can somebody not just this stupid, this stupid, as stupid as Vivek Ramaswamy, how can somebody not just this stupid, but this stupid he thinks he's the smartest man alive run for president? Well, how is somebody this stupid a sitting senator from Tennessee? Marsha Blackburn tweeted, the left is able to release Donald Trump's mugshot, but they still can't tell us who brought cocaine into the White House. And you wonder, is she really so imbecilic as to not understand that those two things have nothing to do with each other? Oh, and that she doesn't know that virtually all mugshots everywhere in this country are released? Uh, and, and and she hadn't noticed that the leading distributor of Trump's mugshot, the one where he tried to look like Big Brother and tried to hide his double, triple, quadruple and quintuple chins. He, she doesn't know that the leading distributor of the mugshot was Trump himself. Marsha Blackburn, Ramaswamy, dozens more Republicans. I mean, they can't be naturally this stupid and have survived to the ages they have reached. They would have walked into open manhole covers by now. All of them. There's only one other explanation. They they must be high as a kite all the time. One more thing. The Russian Investigative Committee now says it's official, quote, molecular genetic testing has been completed, unquote, it says. And yes, that one particular pile of ashes from the private jet crash northwest of Moscow last Thursday is, or was, the Wagner Group leader Evgeny Prigozhin. So it thus becomes irresistible to Saturday Night Live fans of a certain vintage. Good evening, Generalissimo Evgeny Prigozhin is still dead. Also of interest here, the murmuring is beginning to get louder. There is a push starting to get Jonathan Turley fired by George Washington University Law School. Can I help? And you know whose comments are most directly helping this along? Jonathan Turley's. That's next. This is Countdown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. <laughs> This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, the Spanish soccer kiss crisis continues to cascade. The world governing body for the sport, FIFA, has now suspended the president of the Spanish Football Federation for 90 days. He has vowed to fight any punishment. Every one of Spain's 11 assistant managers and coaches has quit in protest. Each Spanish player has refused to play again for their country. Other nations are vowing to refuse to play Spain ever again because the FIFA suspension is insufficient. The Federation chief, Luis Rubiales, celebrated Spain's World Cup victory, first by grabbing his crotch and then by grabbing the back of the head of the Spanish player Jenny Hermoso with both hands and kissing her on the lips. She said it was not consensual. He issued a statement that translates from Spanish to English as some sort of gibberish about consent via the circumstances, and apparently it's even worse in Spanish. It loses something in the original. Something about her lifting him by the hips. His conclusion, he's not resigning, and if you keep trying to make him, he'll just keep saying he's not resigning. No voy a dimitir. 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 Okay, fine, you're not resigning. They'll fire you instead. The Spanish government says it is now trying to remove Rubiales by legal means. The Spanish Football Federation says it has activated its sexual violence protocol and is investigating 
its own federation president in Chicago. We might be able to use the Spanish Football Federation to look into this. Three days later, and the White Sox are still not clear how two fans got shot as they watched Friday's game from the bleachers. They don't even know if the shots came from inside or outside the stadium. A 42-year-old woman took a bullet in the leg and was hospitalized in fair condition. A 26-year-old woman suffered a graze to the abdomen and did not need medical attention. Hope this doesn't offend anybody connected to this podcast. Do we have anybody with any connections to the White Sox on, on, this, on, this, on, this, pod, on this podcast? Almost no story, though, is without a silver lining, and this one is no different. After the shooting, the White Sox canceled that night's Vanilla Ice concert. Thank you, Nancy Faust. From Oakland, back to cascading. As you know, Oakland A's team owner John Fisher starved that franchise until it was unwatchable and attendance flatlined, and this was his excuse to make a deal to move it to Las Vegas. Fisher has just found out he has a big problem. No way there is a place to play in Las Vegas before 2028 at the earliest, maybe even 2029. And his lease in Oakland runs out after next season. He's had the gall to ask Oakland for an extension. The mayor of Oakland has replied by telling baseball commissioner Rob Manfred, who is complicit in this staggering betrayal of one of its most long-suffering markets, that Fisher can have the extension provided that when the A's move, they leave the name A's in Oakland, and that baseball promises in writing to put an expansion franchise to replace the A's in Oakland, which they'll then call the A's. The current A's, and we know what A stands for here, think they have an alternative, renting out the home of the San Francisco Giants for 30 or 40 games a year. If that doesn't work, plan C is to play in the A's AAA minor league stadium, which is in Summerlin, Nevada, and that seats 8,200 people and doesn't have a roof. Still ahead on an all-new edition of Countdown. Oh, it's anniversary month. I mean, I've been around so long, it's always anniversary month for something. This time, it's the anniversary of the start of my television career, and thus previously untold tales of Ted Turner. First time for the Daily Roundup of the Miscreants, Morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Should have done that with a southern accent. Worst persons in the world my Ted Turner impression. The bronze to Zillow, the online home selling site, it posted that 10 days before Trump was indicted in Georgia, he had sold Mar-a-Lago for $422 million to his son, Junior. You know. (laughs) Even though Zillow estimated the value of the place at 24 million, that was the price, 422 million. Needless to say, this was interesting. Sounded like something a, you know, drug lord would do before faking his own death. Five hours later, Zillow finally answered a lot of inquiries by saying, without further explanation, that this was a thing that was posted in error, and they took it down. In error, you bet. 
The runners up, Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk, continuing to lie about how many people saw the Carlson flatulent lap-sitting interview with Trump. The number they're now claiming who saw it is like uh, 300, 400, I don't know, 110 billion, whatever it is. In fact, that number that they are putting out is how many people saw the tweet of the interview in their timelines. The old video view number that Musk has now hidden from Twitter only required that people watched something for two seconds to count as a viewer. So it was bad enough. Mashable reports that the number of people who watched the Trump-Tucker Carlson interview for at least two seconds was only 14.8 million. Two seconds. Who watched it for even a minute? Way less. The debate, for which it was supposedly counter-programming, got 12.8 million on Fox. The GOP debate, for whatever this is worth, crushed Tucker Carlson with Trump in terms of actual audience. In short, under Musk, Twitter has a new metric, which includes people who watch something and people who don't watch it. Genius, I tell you. Genius. But the winner, Jonathan Turley. People keep asking me about Jonathan Turley, who used to be a regular on Countdown, and what happened to him. My answer is, I assume it's blackmail. The real question is, what's going to happen to him next? There is mounting pressure on George Washington University Law School to get rid of him. The latest atrocity from John Turley, described online by somebody as Mike Lindell with tenure, he is whoring out his reputation by telling his new pimps at Fox that he can't understand the Trump charges. Because when Trump called Secretary of State Ken Raffensperger of Georgia and asked him to find 11,570 votes, he was just demanding a recount. A recount. That's all it was. The recount, which had already taken place before the phone call a month earlier, a month after the audit. Worse, Turley is in direct disagreement with somebody very well respected in the legal game who tweeted on January 3rd, 2021, quote, telling Raffensperger to, quote, find the votes on the Saturday before the inauguration is breathtaking. I am as mystified by the request as I am by the logic. Such an opportunistic move to secure the 16 electoral votes would not work to change the outcome. Who tweeted that position, completely contradicting and out-arguing John Turley? John Turley. John Turley said that the request to Raffensperger made no sense. Couldn't figure it out. Now he says, oh, it's just a recount. He's being blackmailed. John... Remember when they tried to blackmail Jeff Bezos to give Trump good coverage? You really think Bezos was the only one looking at you, Turley, Turley, today's worst person in the world? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. to the number one story on this all-new edition of Countdown, and it's that time of year again. It's August when the odometer turns over and my TV debut becomes, ooh, 43 years ago this month. Holy crap. And it all owes to Ted Turner and Lou Dobbs. Part of this I've told before. I actually interviewed with Cable News Network twice, once in April 1980, when they were not yet on the air. And after that interview, I saw no reason they ever would be. I wrote in my diary, there's no chance they're ever going to get it on the air in time. They were supposed to go on in September because the New York Bureau of CNN consisted of one coffee table, a couple of chairs, one coffee machine, a stairwell, one unisex bathroom, and one staffer, New York Bureau Chief Mary Alice Williams. Plus, the day I went there, CNN Sports President Bill McPhail made it two staffers. He was up from Atlanta. After a long year, my phone rang one day, and McPhail asked me to fill in for two weeks, in two weeks, for their New York sports reporter. I had no television experience at all. Well, I'd watched it. She was going on vacation on August 3rd. Sooner, McPhail added, if the baseball strike ended before then. Her name was Debbie Segura, and all I knew was vacation. Me. Okay. Turned out, it was part vacation, part get out of town quickly, very quickly. See, CNN started as not just news news or just news and politics and interviews and guests. There was a half an hour business show every night and a half an hour 
show business show every night and a half an hour sportscast at 7 and another half an hour sportscast at 11 and then one in the middle of the night. There was a fashion program and there were hourly stock reports and they had a staff of meteorologists and they had short sportscasts almost every hour of the day. And the business anchor based in that New York bureau, which had expanded from the one unisex bathroom, was Lou Dobbs. And as the producer they had sent up to work with me when I filled in for this Debbie Segura, Phil Griffin, later the president of MSNBC, as he explained to me when we got in the car to go out to Shea Stadium to interview all those New York Mets guys, Lou Dobbs was rumored to be stepping out on his wife with the CNN New York sports reporter. And Mrs. Dobbs had found out. So there was even a rumor there was somebody else who also worked in the CNN New York bureau who found out. So, Bill McPhail's hurried call asking me to fill in for the reporter for two weeks in two weeks was because she was going on, quote, vacation. Not long after all this, Dobbs thought it would be smarter to leave New York for a while, like a decade or so, and Debbie went with him. They got married. This left New York without a sports reporter, and CNN tried another one of their Atlanta anchors for a while, but they kept giving him extra vacation time so they would have to bring me in freelance every month. And finally, the following March, they offered me the job full-time, and I have not earned an honest paycheck since. And I mean that in two ways. CNN was paying me $500 a week. That's $100 a day to go on national television. Even then, this seemed a little low. And it was about 40% less than what I was making for like three days a week in network radio. I pointed this out acceptingly because I was learning how to do TV while on TV and getting paid for it It was vocational school. And that's when they told me that the $500 a week was already more than they had been paying Debbie Segura and more than the guy they were paying as their reporter in Los Angeles. And then Bill McPhail, the head of sports, called and offered me a contract for $25,000. And I said, wait, $25,500 a week is $26,000. Wait a minute. You're offering me less for the contract. Why would I take less? Is there health insurance or something? And he said, no. There's just the security of having the contract. And I said, well, I'd rather have the $1,000 that you're docking me for signing. And they found it somewhere. But they always reminded me how generous they had been with that extra $1,000. And I kept saying, that's not extra. You are already paying me that. Anyway, none of that would have happened, though, without Ted Turner, because CNN was his idea. And in fact, most of what you saw from me on ESPN later, that was also mostly his idea, too. Sort of, anyway. The basic idea, Sports Center, sports news on national television, on more or less a daily basis, Ted did that, not ESPN. And the Daily Sports News Studio Show, on at the same time every day or night with the same anchors, treated as seriously as a half an hour of news, Ted did that. And buying sports teams to have something to put on your television station, Ted did that too. WTCG, Channel 17 Atlanta, was the fringiest of fringy TV stations when Ted Turner bought it in 1970. But then six years later, he bought first the Atlanta Braves and then the basketball Atlanta Hawks, and he bought a couple of satellite dishes, and the FCC made the fateful decision to let him put Channel 17 up on the satellite so it could be shown on those fledgling cable systems around the country. And the next thing you knew, the Atlanta Braves were America's team. And Ted, who was shameless, 
promptly signed the first baseball player ever to take advantage of what we now know as free agency, Andy Messersmith. Andy Messersmith got what looked like all the money in the world, more money than any baseball player had ever gotten or, or we were certain would ever get. One million dollars over three years. <laughs> With one catch. Andy Messersmith had to wear uniform number 17, WTCG channel 17. You seeing where this was going? He had to wear uniform number 17, and instead of having Messersmith written on the back of the shirt over the 17, he had to have the word channel. So Andy Messersmith's uniform when he broke in with the Atlanta Braves in 1976 as the highest paid player in baseball history, the back of the uniform read channel 17. Baseball stopped that right quick. It stopped Ted the day he decided that he should see what it was like to manage the Braves and if it really was as difficult as his managers had made it seem. Uh, his lifetime record was 0-1, and he said, yes, this is very difficult. But the cable sports genie, that one was out of the bottle, and nobody was stopping it. And ESPN ran with it. But next came news. Even then, his crazy idea, Cable News Network, rested squarely on the first regularly scheduled nightly sports newscast in national television history, CNN Sports Tonight, at 7, at 11, and 2 a.m. Eastern. While SportsCenter was on in those days for 15 minutes, one night at 7, and then an hour, the next night at 10, and Sports Tonight was there come news or high water seven nights a week. Of course, Ted Turner was not just shameless, he was also technically penniless, so he hired a couple of real veterans to run and anchor the thing, Bill McPhail, who helped invent the NFL on CBS, and Monday Night Football was also his idea, and his former CBS colleague, Bob Wessler, and he hired Nick Charles, who was a star of sportscasting on the Washington and Baltimore newscasts, but everybody else, the cheapest hires they could find in 1981. Turner sent McPhail to hire me. That was our second interview. When I told Bill I had made $42,000 the year before working for Charlie Steiner in radio, Bill spit his drink halfway across the room. We were planning on hiring six guys to start with for a total of $95,000. This is when they were staffing up what became CNN headline news. I answered that I hoped that the other five guys he was going to hire were prepared to make it on seven grand each because there was no way I was moving to Atlanta for less than $60,000. Well, they got me anyway and for less than $60,000, but I did not move to Atlanta. Thank you, Lou Dobbs. And they got Dan Patrick and Hannah Storm and Fred Hickman and Dan Hicks and Gary Miller and dozens of others and reporters and cameramen and producers and executives and editors and one sports production assistant from the original crew of CNN Sports wound up becoming the president of CNN Worldwide, and another wound up becoming the president of MSNBC. ESPN reshaped television sports, news anyway. CNN created it. And early on, CNN staffed ESPN and much of the industry. And I'm skipping how Turner mainstreamed World Cup yachting, at least for a while, and Ted and TNT, and Ted and the Goodwill Games, and Ted and World Championship Wrestling, whose matches were actually held right above the CNN newsroom, so that often you could hear the wrestlers slamming each other on our ceiling. And by the way, the Braves winning 14 straight division titles, and the repopulation of bison in the country. That was also Ted Turner. 
But my favorite Ted Turner story comes from something he did not pull off. Not that he did not try. When the football owners forced the players out on strike in 1982, Ted sent me to cover it every day for eight months. And one day he showed up at the football strike talks to meet with the players. And when he came out, he announced that he would be bankrolling and televising two football games in the middle of a football strike, one at RFK Stadium in Washington and the other at the Rose Bowl in Southern California. And basically, these two games would pit pickup teams of striking players, the American Conference versus the National Conference. And he called his two games the All-Star Season. I've mentioned this elsewhere and before. When I asked him about the acronym for the All-Star Season, he winked at me and shushed me. And then he took me aside and he asked me what I thought. And I told him, nobody's going to watch and he's going to lose money. And he looked at me and he said, nobody watches you. I lose money on you. So what? We'll make money eventually. He then explained that that was really just designed to set up the owners. If he could put the games together and get them on TV with no more than one month's lead time, the players' union was willing to partner up with him. Ted's real motive for the ASS, the all-star season, was nothing less than creating his own football league, 24 teams, which would begin play in 1983 or sooner if necessary and would be televised exclusively on TBS. All he needed was the players going along with him and one little labor court ruling that the owners had forced the players' union to go out on strike, and that would allow the union to negotiate with other employers. Well, obviously, you don't have to be a football expert to know that he did not get that court ruling, but they went for it. Ted Turner was shooting for nothing less than killing off the National Football League and replacing it with a new National Football League owned by Ted Turner, and he was going to give the players 50% of the whole league. And don't forget, nearly all of this was done on a shoestring budget with borrowed money, with all of his employees convinced that he was crazy and it wouldn't last until next Tuesday. And when we would get our paychecks at CNN in New York, we would race each other to the bank to cash them just in case there wasn't going to be enough for everybody. So whenever something causes me to get nostalgic about my start in TV, I inevitably find myself going back to tales of Ted Turner, Owen oh, Lou, and Mrs. Dobbs, and the other Mrs. Dobbs, Mrs. Dobbs 1 and Mrs. Dobbs 2. done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening countdown has come to you from our studios high atop the sports capsule building in new york here are the credits most of the music was arranged produced and performed by brian ray and john philip chanel they are the countdown musical directors all orchestration and keyboards by john philip chanel guitars bass and drums by brian ray produced by tko brothers other beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group no horns allowed the sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Jonathan Banks. Everything else is pretty much my fault. That's Countdown for this, the 964th day. 
since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bolton's as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you.